Well, good morning, Oak Grove. It is my honor and privilege to get to open the Word of God with you. And we're going to go right back to, to 1 Peter 3, 7. <clears throat> and I don't know if you've noticed, like this is, now that, now that we've been here together for a while, the, 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 the normal operating procedure is where the period is from the week before is where we pick up the next week. So we are in 1 Peter 3, 7. And the series that we're living in, that, that, that we're in, it, um, I want to bring it to mind every week because it's the theme, the, the idea carries through the book. And that's living for what lasts. Because we know the only things that are going to last are the things that, that are of the kingdom of God. And knowing that those are the only things that last, those are the things we want to give our lives in pursuit of in service to our king. So let's pray and ask a, a blessing on this time, and then we'll, we'll jump right into it. Lord, you are the, the master and commander of our souls. God, and we, we thank you for King Jesus, who became a man and died for us. And we are to carry out living in his example. Lord, let us submit to your will and walk in love for one another and walk in the steps of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So <clears throat> let's, let's just reorient ourselves to the book. Chapter one, he starts talking to the church and we are called the called out ones. We've been called out by God into this, this new kingdom and this new kingdom that God has called those who are saved to, it's, it's a countercultural kingdom. It is an upside down kingdom. It is a kingdom with its own set of rules and ethics that those people who are called out to that kingdom, us, are to live by. Doesn't matter what the world's living by, what we've been called to live by. Last week, we looked at how Christian women are to conduct themselves and how they are to find beauty and where they're to find their adorning. This morning, Peter is addressing Christian men and he is using much less words, but I think you'll find what men to do, what he's calling men to do is in no way less demanding. And men, like, so I, I write the sermon at the beginning of the week, then I try to like live it out. I just want you to know, Lord's been stepping all over my toes this week. You might want to pre-curl. God, God, God has been working on my heart. So here's our thesis, our what is true statement. A life lived in God's design requires a husband to understand his wife, honor his wife, lead with eyes looking forward to eternity, and to pray for his wife. I'll read it again. A life lived in God's design requires a husband to understand his wife, honor his wife, lead with eyes looking forward to eternity, and pray for his wife. So what are we to do? To sum it up simply, we are to lead in love, modeling Jesus in your leadership. Lead in love, modeling Jesus in your leadership. So let's look at our text together. 1 Peter 3, 7. 
Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are with you of the grace of life, they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. May the Lord add blessing to the reading of his word. So the first thing we're going to look at as, is to walk in understanding. Peter moves from talking to wives to now talking to husbands. Verse 7 starts just like it started with the wives, likewise. So the question you got to say is likewise to what? And we, context drives meaning. Like, let me say it again. I think I say it every week. Context drives meaning. When you are reading the Bible, context is king. Context will let you know what seems maybe to us obscure. So the context is how men are to, to... the context is the only way that we will understand in what way men are to relate to their wives who they lead. And the context is Jesus. The way of living that we are called to do all hinges on Jesus as our example. You'll remember that from chapter 2. It says, Jesus is your example. Walk this way. Remember how Christians are to relate uh, to the government and masters to their to their or slaves to their masters and wives to their husbands, all of this is driven from first peter two twenty one through twenty five and that 's the example of jesus it, the, they're bookended both on this, and then we 're about to get some more of the way that jesus lived that 's coming next week so likewise, men walk with Christ as your example. Submitting to the Father and suffering for those who who you love. That's how Jesus led, isn't it? He submitted to the Father and he he suffered for those that he loved and he suffered for those that he, he led. This Greek word translated here as understanding is pointed more towards God than to our wives. The word wife is actually inserted there from the Greek. It's, it's, it's done because it's the, it's the main subject of the next, um, the, the, the next part of the sentence, the, the next comma, so we know that that's the context. But just like words in our language have connotations and have meanings um, that might be missed if it was being translated to somebody who speaks a different language, so does Greek. And this word understanding has the connotation of understanding with fear. We are to live in understanding of our wives in fear. Like if you have a swimming pool in your backyard and you have young kids, the swimming pool is for the kids, right? It's for fun. But the children need to have a healthy respect for the pool because there is danger associated with the pool, even though the pool is designed for their enjoyment, right? So they need to understand the pool with fear. This fearful understanding is always associated with God. Maybe a more helpful way to translate this would be, this phrase would be like this, and I'm glossing more words in. Likewise, husbands should live with their wives informed by the knowledge of God's will. 
We need to be informed by the knowledge of God's will because God's will is something fearful for us to live under. Husbands are to leave their wives informed by the knowledge of God, God's will, and what he demands of us. Husbands, there is a lot demanded of you. I like how H.B. Charles talks about this word husband. Um, the word husband comes from the word husbandry. That's not a word super used by us anymore. It's more, it's more of an old word. But how it would have been used in the past is like a farmer. He would, he was a husband, his work was husbandry with the soil or a gardener was, was to cultivate the ground. To be a husband in, in its proper context is to be a cultivator of the soil. You know, men, we want to be like hunt, kill, and that be like the center thing that defines us. No, cultivator. We talk about the woman's intuition to be a nurturer. It's part of God's design for a man to be a cultivator. Cultivation is a husband's ministry to his wife. Cultivate your relationship with time. Cultivate your relationship by listening carefully. Cultivate your relationship by paying attention, getting involved in the things that she likes. It doesn't matter if you like them. Get involved. Enjoy it. Cultivate your relationship by encouraging her. And this is, in part, relating to your wife in an understanding way. Men are commanded here to relate to their wives in an understanding way. So, in what way are we to understand our wives? Are we to understand all women? No. Too big of a task. One woman, your wife. You are commanded to understand your own wife. We are to learn our wife. We are to know her. And a husband, if you said yes, you said I do, you said yes to being a lifelong learner of your partner. Over my years of counseling men, you know, the two greatest um, arguments in a marriage, money and intimacy. For most men, they'll come in and they, 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 they'll make some offhanded comment about physical intimacy in their marriage or they'll, they'll name it by a different name of, of feeling stale intimately. A good book for a leadership, which you are called to, is called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink. He's a former Navy SEAL. Hey, to be very clear, this is not a Christian book. This is a retired, hardened Navy SEAL. So, if you read it, just, I'm putting those parameters up. But if you live this way that he's talking about in extreme ownership, I think it will change your life. A leader must own everything in their world. I think husbands... We need to own everything in our marriages. Well, I didn't do it. Husbands, we need to own everything in our marriages. The principles that he teaches um, to, to, to live this way are pretty simple, but extremely hard. 
One, hang your ego at the door. If you want to be, have extreme ownership, you have to hang your ego at the door. You have to aggressively pursue humility and be disciplined in your actions and in your conduct. Every day, wake up, rinse, and repeat. There's no, if you're going to live this extreme ownership, if you're going to live the life of a leader that I think we're all called to live, it looks like hanging your ego at the door, aggressively pursuing humility, and being disciplined in control of your actions and your conduct. So let me help you with your frustration about intimacy or whatever it is in your marriage. You can blame her or you can be a leader and you can practice extreme ownership and you can put the blame on yourself. You can do what this text is telling you to do and relate to your wife in an understanding way. So let's think about this. When was the last time you learned anything new about your wife? Think about when you were dating. You were studying her. You were, you were learning her. You would, it didn't matter how far you had to drive just to spend that extra 15 minutes, whether you were going to do it. You were staying on the phone all night, trying to talk. You'd fall asleep on the phone. You would do the whole texting thing, if that was the phase of dating you were in when texting was a thing. Um, like, but you were doing everything you could to learn something about her because you had a purpose. You were trying to make her fall in love with you. Don't stop just because you're married. In your continued education of your wife, it won't look the same as when you're dating. Like, you know, once you got to high school and college, your learning changed. You're not learning on coloring sheets anymore. It's not the same as when you were dating. She's changing. Your situation is changing. But... You're still called to learn. So let me ask you some questions real quick, man. What do you think your wife has dealt with emotionally this week? What weight is she carrying for you and your kids and for her extended family? What are her ambitions? What ambitions has she set aside so that you can pursue your ambitions? Is it time to bring that conversation back up or is it time to still, like, you're mindful of it but you're laying it on the table because it's not time based on where your family is? Um, what is she insecure about? What new books is she into? What new movie, TV show, what, what's she into? Again, I'm gonna say it doesn't matter if you like it or not. Be involved in it. What new music is she into? Because she's not the woman you married. Kind of like you're not the man she married. Y'all are changing. You're evolving. And I'm not the greatest learner of my wife. Unfortunately for her, I'm a very slow study at most things. But with your frustration about physical intimacy or finances, whatever it is, you need to ask yourself, how well you've been learning your wife. Work on the emotional intimacy and likely everything else will probably fall into place. And if it doesn't, like that's not a promise, by the way. If it doesn't, be a leader. If it doesn't, don't stomp your feet like a toddler. 
You're not a petulant child. What have you been commanded to do? Live in an understanding way towards your wife. You're called to be a leader. Living in an understanding way with your wife is an issue of the heart between you and God. It's not contingent on what she does. You living in an understanding way with your wife is between you and God. It's a heart issue. It's a worship issue. You can't, you can't handle what she's doing. You don't just get to be understanding when you get what you want. You don't just get to be understanding when life is, is working out how you want. You are called to lead. You are called to lead in, lead in love. And you cannot lead in love if you're acting like an emotional infant and throwing a tantrum every time things don't go your way. Jesus does not throw a tantrum when we don't do what he wants, right? We are to model Christ. And how does Christ lead? Jesus leads with understanding and gentleness and kindness. Jesus leads in such a way of extreme ownership that he committed no sin, but he paid the debt for the sin that we committed. Let's look at our next part of this verse real quick. We are to show honor to your wife. The text says, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Remember again, this is all attached to what's been previously said in, in, in the book. So we get honor, this idea of honoring people a couple of times. The first time it says, honor everyone. Then it says, honor the emperor. And now we crescendo with honor the woman. Honor your wife. Yes, she is told to submit. You are told to honor. To me, based on this command, if you're acting in a way that is not in servant leadership, if you're acting in a way that is not servant leadership, long in, in driven from love, you are operating in sin. If you are living a life that is not servant leadership towards your wife, you are operating in sin. Belittling your wife is sinful. Talking down to your wife is sinful. Treating her as if she is not your equal is sinful. In most cases, the only thing that she is not equal to you in is stature and physical ability. And you are to relate to her in an understanding way, conscious of God's design, and show her honor. The wife here is described as the weaker vessel. So what does this mean? Well, I just alluded to it. It's her physical stature. Nothing in the Bible suggests that in any way that women are weaker emotionally or mentally than men. Peter's not suggesting that a woman is morally or spiritually weaker than a man. Peter is directing our attention to the things that are uniquely feminine. Even the word here for woman is, is saying something about the ability to bear children. Pointing back to the husband, that what Peter's doing is he's pointing out what's uniquely feminine about a woman so that the husband would walk in knowledge that God would require him of concerning the female sex. So a vessel is 
a physical structure that holds stuff like a pot. And the way that God built and designed men's skeletal structure is that in most cases, we are physically larger and physically stronger. Now, it has, some women are, but in most cases, the potentiality for a man's, for a man's strength is much higher. And as a matter of fact, God knit us together in the womb, the womb of a woman. And in the womb, he designed each one of us male and female, making us masculine men and making the women feminine. While God made us equal, he made us different, not just physically and biologically, but we're different in how we, are, how we relate to each other on an emotional level. And that's okay. It's, it's okay that God made us different. There is beauty in that diversity. There's beauty that she wants to talk, and there's beauty that you can just sit in silence and think about nothing for a long time. There's beauty that, that you want to go build stuff and make stuff. There's beauty that she wants to decorate and design. There is beauty in that diversity. Someone's gender dysphoria or a new law does not and cannot and will not change God's design. Just because a woman has a surgery and says she's now a man, that does not make it truth. God has designed, he has a design for the sexes more than just their reproductive organs. We are feminine and we are masculine down to our, the strands of our DNA. Your, your sexuality has been encoded into the smallest part of who you are. There are over a trillion cells in the human body. And of these cells, three billion cells hold DNA. And each strand of DNA declares, these three billion cells multiple times over, declare that you are what God designed you to be. It has the thumbprint of God's design on you. You cannot erase God's design with surgery. And it's good that God made us different. And we should honor these differences. When we look at creation in Genesis 2, God only calls one thing in the six days that he created not good. It was not good that man was alone. And it's funny. I think about Jordan going out of town for a day or two. Like, it's amazing how quickly I turned feral. <laughs> Look at your screen real quick. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone, and I will make him a helper fit for him. God said it wasn't good that he was alone. You know how the story goes. He puts Adam to sleep. He takes from his side. He creates Eve. He creates a helper suitable for Adam. Most translations just say helper, but the Hebrew here is two words for helper. It's azer, and then the next word is kenigdo. You don't need to know that. Just I want you to get the idea. So azer is the Old Testament word um, word used to explain here the function of a woman, and that's as a helper. But 
words have connotations. They, they, they bring certain, certain things with them when you say them, right? It's kind of like the difference, what, what a word can do. What's, what's the difference in uh, thunder and lightning? Power, right? The, the, this, this word has, has some meat that comes along with it. And the Hebrews don't have as many words as we do. They only have like 3,000. It's, it's not very many. And we've got 100,000 words. So when they, would, when they would choose these words, they would come with a picture. And here's the picture around this word other ways that it's used in the Old Testament. It's um, used, helper is used for the military aid for rescue. It's used uh, as for God as a helper to Israel. And it's also used at, for the role of woman. Ezra doesn't denote weakness or that she's less than man, because it's the same word used for God. It's the same word used for an army coming to save. It's a, a strong helper. But let's look at this kenigdo. It means to oppose or to be in opposition to. God's role from the beginning for women is a position of strength in what was lacking in man. She's to be a strong helper, and a rescue to stand in opposition to you. Now, ladies, real quick, before you go too far with that, this opposition is not, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's a positive opposition. It's not a point of obstinance. It's not a call to be obstinate for your husband's good. But it's, it's, not, it's not like an enemy across battle lines. It is the positive application of resistance is this opposition that, that we're talking about here. So imagine I have two two-by-fours. And just for the sake of argument, pretend that I could stand one up right on its end. Like I'm, I'm some magician, I can just stand it up. How strong would that structure be? You can blow it right over, right? Now, imagine I had two two-by-fours, and this is this idea of opposition. They, they, they oppose each other, it's, it's, it's a force coming in a different direction, and now you have a structure. That's, that's the idea. It strengthens the structure. It's the positive application of resistance. Honor her rightly, because without her, God's structure, God's design for the home and for the family and for society cannot operate without her being who she's been made to be in God, which is an opposition, a, a positive application of resistance, and a strong helper. The Bible says, show honor to your wife. The word show is, is, is actually showing. It is implying a continuous action. Honor means to place in high value and to count it a privilege. Your marriage will never be stale, if you're placing a high value on your wife and you are counting it as a privilege for her to be in your home. It is God's grace on you that God has given you that woman, that he's given you your bride. You're counting it as a privilege to serve her, to be a servant leader and to be with her. Just like submission is between God and the wife showing honor is between the man and God. So ladies, it is not your job 
to make him show you honor how you feel like you ought to be shown honor. It is not your job to make him understand you in the way you feel you ought to be understood. This is a spiritual battle that he is fighting that you can fight beside him in prayer. But you got to understand, he's never going to do these things unless he's pursuing God. Pray that he's going to pursue God. And men, if you, you're like, man, this does sound like it would make my marriage better. Unless you're pursuing God, all these things we're talking about, they're going to be weak. You're not going to continue. And ultimately, it's just going to be a fake action, just trying to make your marriage better. Because this is a matter of worship. The way you lead is worship to God. And then, like all things, when we, when we point them first vertically to God, all these horizontal things start working out. Everything has to be in or order. And the order is passionately pursue God, then passionately pursue your family, passionately pursue your wife. I think another way uh, we honor God and we honor our wives is by leading them well. Look at on your screen, we're given the husband's mandate for leadership in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We are to love her as Christ loved the church, and Christ gave his life for us. Christ bled for us. So, man, when, it's, when, when we say lead like Jesus led, love like Jesus loves, that's a high call. It's an impossible call without God working through you and you begging him to do it. Think about how Jesus led. He led in self-denial and self-sacrifice. Yeah, the wife is called to submit, but in her submission, you're dying to self and you're sacrificing for her. That changes the, 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 the connotation of submission a lot, doesn't it? The way that we've seen it and we've heard it as we've grown up. He washed us with the water of the word. You are to be a prophet and a priest for your wife, speaking and praying the word of God over her. Jesus sees us without spot or blemish. Guys, your wife has done wrong to you. Your wife has sinned against you. There's something that she's done that makes you very mad and very bitter on the inside. Or even when you just think about it, you just become furious. A husband, as a husband in Christ, that's the, that's the key, as a husband in Christ, modeling the work of Jesus, you don't have the right to do that. You don't have the right to hold any of her sins against her. You have been washed by the blood of Jesus. You've been washed by the word, and he sees you, he sees the church as spotless and without blemish, even though you're not spotless. The command here for us is to not hold anything against our brides, but to see her as sinless. 
sharing the love that God has shared with us, modeling the forgiveness that God has given us, knowing full well that she's a sinner, but choosing to forgive anyway. You are to see her based on the word without spot or blemish. God does not throw your sin in your face. Instead, God throws our sin into his sea of forgetfulness. God forgives our sin as far as the east is from the west. And that is what you are called to model. But pastor, you don't understand what she's done. You're right, I don't. But I do understand what Christ has done for you and what Christ has done for me. And we are to model Christ in that way as we relate to our spouse. We, before Christ, we were rebels against God. We sinned against God. Your wife's sin against you is not greater than your sin against God. And when you put things in, in the context of the Old Testament and you start thinking about the pictures that were given for sin, God sees your sin as infidelity to him. God paints it so graphically that, and I'm not trying to be crude, it's like he caught you in the act of cheating. That's how God sees our sin. He's disgusted by it. It hurts him. It breaks his heart as the great lover of your soul. Your sin says, God, I, don't, I wish you don't exist. Your sin says, says that, that you don't care what he has to say. Your sin is rebellion against God. And even still, despite your sin, despite your action, God being rich in love and mercy sent his one and only son. God became flesh and died on a cross for you. God came to earth and he dwelt among us and he bled and died on a cross and he gave us his righteousness. Righteousness that we could never earn. Righteousness that we don't deserve. And I want you to understand and I want you to remember that you don't deserve the righteousness that you found. The love that God has for you is in spite of you. The love God has for you is based on the love he chooses to have for you. God's love is not based on any merit that we have. It's based on him. That's how you're called to love. You're called to love it's not conditional on what she does. Your call to love is modeling the love that God has given you, and you've already said, I choose to love you. His love is long-suffering. His love is everlasting, and that's how we're called to love. On that day of judgment, God will honor you, not because of you, but because of his son because you put your faith in Jesus. In Christ, God sees us as guiltless. And this is how you are to see your wife. As you wash her in the water of the word to present herself to you, to pre present her to yourself as Jesus presents the church to himself. How does he do it? Our text told us. In splendor, without spot or wrinkle, or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Honor your wife in this way, and most everything else will work itself out. Honor God by honoring your wife. Let's look now at 
our next part, and that's leading with our eyes set towards eternity. Look at your text. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. If your wife is a believer, she is totally equal to you in the kingdom of God. She's totally equal in the age to come. But God does have different roles now on earth in your house and in the church. We're equal, but we're not equal in function and role. He has different roles for us. For instance, the New Testament is clear that the male is to be the head of the house and that, that the male is to pastor the local church. This does not make your wife lesser than or not equal to you. God just created different roles. Many Christians will not hold this position, but in not holding that position, you're denying the plain reading of the text and explaining in a way with worldly positions. God has made men and women equal, but not equal in role. They're given different roles. And we've, we've talked a lot about equality and equity over the last couple of years, but equality is not equity. God doesn't tell us necessarily his reasoning for why, they're not, why the roles aren't the same. He just tells us that they're different. For instance, in the Trinity, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, they are co-eternal, co-existent, and co-equal with the Father. They're, they're, they're not less than God the Father, yet God the Son submits, he has a different role, he submits to the will of the Father. The Holy Spirit submits to the will of the Father. The Spirit's role is not the role of the Son. The Spirit is not the Prince of Heaven. The Spirit is not the substitute for mankind. That's the Son. The Holy Spirit transforms heart and empowers believers to walk in the newness of life and seals us to deliver us to the Father for the day of judgment. His role's different and do not I'm just telling you now, if you come and try to make some kind of argument to me that the, the God, the Holy Spirit, is somehow lesser than God the Father, I might punch you in the nose because that's blasphemy. Their roles are different, but they are equal. Right now, it's sad in culture. People are denying the biblical definition of marriage. People are denying God's physical and biological design for men and women. And the church is rightly up in arms. Like, you should make that stand. Many in the church today desire to reject or explain away the clear teaching of the New Testament, though, that the male is the head of the home and that pastors are to be male and these males are to pastor the local church. And don't, don't be mad about them rejecting or manipulating God's design for biblical manhood or biblical womanhood. Then argue away the clear teaching of the New Testament of God's roles for men at home and men in the church. You're making the same argument as they are. In rejecting the male's role in the home and in the church, you're doing exactly what they're doing. God said something you don't like, and you're redefining it. It's a matter of submission by all of us. Men and women are equal in grace and inheritance. And God's grace is given, God's grace, it's, it's, the word grace just means unmerited favor. We don't merit what he's done for us. It's just his favor given to us. And we are heirs together in this gift of salvation. We're equal in inheritance. We are, 
We're equal in righteousness because it's given to us. We don't merit being called sinless. We don't merit being adopted by the Father, but we are. And we will reign together forever as sons and daughters of the Most High God. Here's another truth. Lead your eyes fixed on eternity. We know that there's a day that all, all people, great and small, male and female, slave and master, rich and poor, they will be judged for the, thing, for the sins that they've committed. And if they are not found in Christ, they will suffer in hell for an eternity, paying that debt. If you're married to an unbeliever, lead her with your eyes fixed on heaven. Lead, lead your believing wife, lead, because you're her shot. Lead your believing wife. Lead her with your eyes fixed on heaven. Why? Why, why is that one so important? Like these, these ministries that God's calling us to the home, they're not easy like Sunday. Sunday, you just get to turn it on and turn it off. You don't get to turn these off because there are eyes watching you. One of the most named reasons for young people not accepting the faith of their parents is because they saw them not live it out at home. The way that you relate to your spouse, the way that you live at home will have eternal consequences. Finally, pray for your wife. The call to lead is a call to model Jesus, and we see Jesus praying for his bride. The church is called his bride. Romans 8, 34 says this, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Interceding is another word for prayer. Jesus is currently praying for us. 1 John 2, 1, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus that advocate, he's talking to God on our behalf. I'm going to call that prayer. Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he, being Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost who draw near to God through him, since he, is all, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The, the ministry of the Son right now is a ministry of prayer. And husband, if you are modeling Christ, model Christ in praying for your wife. I can tell who you truly love based on who you pray for daily. Are your prayers consumed with you? Which is okay that they're, you pray about yourself. Or are your prayers consumed with your spouse? Are they consumed with your children? Are they consumed with your church? Pray for all these things. But you have to have the ministry of prayer. Because I... Uh, when you're praying for her constantly you're going to have a right heart of understanding towards her. So why would we pray? Why would we, we act in an understanding way towards our wife and lead the way that we've talked about this morning? Our text gives us a curse for the man who doesn't. Look at your screen. So that your prayers may not be hindered. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Yeah, man, that's a curse. That's a terrifying curse. We are to model Christ and we'll face this curse if we don't lead this way 
if we don't treat our wife as equal, your prayers, it says, will be hindered. What does it mean that your prayers will be hindered? It means that God will refuse your prayer. And my mind just goes to all the, all the things I need to pray for. That's a, that's a terrifying reality, and he doesn't give us any qualifying statement to that. God judges harshly all those who are in positions of authority and abuse or mistreat those under them. So, men, let's decide today to lead in love, modeling Christ in our homes. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I'm be right here. I'd love to talk to you about what that means. If maybe you want some prayer about your, your family or your marriage, I'd love to pray for you. I'll be, I'll be down there. But let's go to the Lord.